0: On this episode, the focus will be on family-related tax matters. This is Part 1, focusing on correspondence audits, Form 8332, and the difference between the qualifying child and the qualifying relative. Thank you for tuning in to Tax Justice Warriors. Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, the podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics, focuses on tax controversy work, and looks at related issues in tax news. I am your host, William Schmidt, the director of the Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic at Kansas Legal Services. Today's focus is a continuation of the subjects that I am teaching at Washburn University School of Law regarding tax procedure and this is part 1 of a two part series that i am calling family related tax matters now to start out with the larger focus is on correspondence audits and if a person receives a letter from the irs asking them for supporting documentation most likely they would be receiving some version of form 886 now they have different versions of the form related to items like head of household filing status the earned income tax credit the child tax credit and so on but with the tax reform there is also a form 14815 proving the child tax credit and credit for other dependents for tax years 2018 to 2025 so one of the first questions i would ask someone that they're working with an individual to help them find supporting documents for the items from the IRS, is what year are you trying to prove your client qualifies for with those documents? And it would be worth looking up research materials that you have for that tax year or looking on the IRS forms and publications for that tax year just to confirm that you are gathering the right documents for that tax year and matching up what they need. Now, another item that I would say to think about is, is there an item that the person might be looking at based on a qualifying child or a qualifying relative? Now, most of the items are connected to a qualifying child, but certainly if They are looking at the dependency exemption, perhaps some other items, then it may be based off a qualifying relative. And there are different rules for a qualifying relative than for a qualifying child. So to start with a qualifying child, there are several rules based off that. But some of the main ones that I would look at are the child's age, the relationship to the taxpayer, residency, whether they lived with the taxpayer for more than half the tax year, and support. If there is a question if the child provided more than half of his or her own support, then that may be something you would need to examine. Now, there are a set of child-related tax benefits. These are generally referred to in a set of six. So depending on the tax year, there could be the dependency exemption or the credit for other dependents, head of household filing status, the child tax credit, the earned income tax credit, child and dependent care credit, and the exclusion from income for dependent care benefits. Now these generally go as a set of six for the custodial parent but I will talk about the main exception, the Form 8332, in a moment. Now, I listed off the set of six, but I'm going to mainly focus on the top four, that the Child and Dependent Care Credit and the Exclusion from Income for Dependent Care Benefits. Those are generally not high audit items, so they don't come up quite so much. Now, the Form 8332 is for child-related tax benefits that the custodial parent can transfer to the non-custodial parent. Those include the dependency exemption for the years prior to the tax reform or the credit for other dependents in current years, and then also the child tax credit, which is non-refundable, which goes in conjunction with the additional child tax credit, which is refundable. Now, I recently had someone contact me, a family law attorney within my organization, that the ex-husband was contacting her client saying that she he was frustrated that she claimed the earned income tax credit based off their daughter, that she did not let him claim the credit. Well, that is not on the list of items transferable on Form 8332. It's not allowable for a custodial parent to allow a non-custodial parent to claim the earned income tax credit. So he was certainly wrong. And that's what I advised the other attorney about, that potentially from their issues, they will both be audited anyway. But really, the ex-husband's bullying and threats about that were misguided, and he certainly was misinformed about tax law. Now going through the main four of the items, the dependency exemption, the head of household filing status, the child tax credit, and the earned income tax credit, they generally all have the same four requirements for age, relationship, residency, and support. of the main exceptions that the child tax credit, the child must be under the age of 17, and the earned income tax credit, there is no support requirement. Now a main difference for a qualifying relative is that there is no applicable age test for a qualifying relative. Now examining whether they are related to the taxpayer, either it can be A, relatives who do not have to live with the taxpayer all year. Now, this list of qualifying relatives, that does not include foster parents or cousins. Or B, an individual who is not a spouse that is a member of the taxpayer's household for the entire year. Now, a person cannot be a qualifying child to be a qualifying relative. Now, there is no residency test unless the qualifying relative is in that second category where they are a member of the taxpayer's household for the entire year. To be a qualifying relative, the individual's gross income subject to tax must be less than the personal exemption amount for the entire year. So in 2019 tax year, that amount is $4,200. So In order to be a qualifying relative, they must have very low income, be very dependent on the taxpayer. And that ties into support, that the taxpayer must provide over one-half of the individual's total support for the entire year. Now, if a person was trying to prove that they meet the relationship and age tests... A main difference for a qualifying relative or a qualifying child is that a qualifying relative will not qualify a person for the child tax credit or the earned income tax credit, while having a qualifying child will qualify a person potentially for a child-related tax benefit, the group of six listed previously. Now turning to the relationship and age tests, the main proof will be legal documents. The main one is birth certificates. So you may need to provide more than one birth certificate showing the links between perhaps the taxpayer and a niece would be a birth certificate showing the link between the taxpayer and their brother or sister, and then the birth certificate of the niece herself. So enough linkage between the taxpayer and their brother or sister, so both birth certificates for each of them, showing that they have the same parent, and then a birth certificate for the child herself. Other legal documents could be adoption papers if you are claiming an adopted child, a court decree, or paternity results. For the residency test, proof that a child is connected to the address and lived there for over six months of the year, school records, medical records, affidavits from a neighbor, a landlord, a clergy person. They must be documents listing the address, your name, and the child's name for the year in question. So it could be adoption or child placement documents, court records, a dated statement from the child's school, child care provider, health care provider, social service agency, placement agency, employer, an Indian tribal official, landlord or property manager from their place of worship or a domestic violence shelter or homeless shelter of some kind. For the support test, you are showing proof that the child did not provide more than half of their own support. If there is a question of this, then you'd be showing the proof of their support and helping to figure out the percentages of who provided what support The support from other sources could be a statement of an account from a child support agency or a statement from a government agency verifying the benefits received. When you are looking at the overall total benefits from the taxpayer, then looking at rental agreements or a statement showing proof of lodging cost, utility and repair bills with proof of payment, daycare, school, medical records or bills, with canceled checks or receipts, clothing bills for the child with proof of payment. Now, another item is head of household filing status that you're showing for the taxpayer that they provided more than half the costs for the household. Certainly, head of household filing status helps the taxpayer have a better tax bracket than if they were filing as single or some, but certainly... It can be difficult to prove the head of household filing status, so it may be tough for them to overcome that hurdle. So certainly if your client has filed as single and not head of household filing status, that is easier in gathering the documents. It can be quite burdensome to prove that you paid more than half the costs for the household, but it is certainly possible. But in order to prove that, you need to gather proof regarding the household payments that the taxpayer made. So, rent and utilities, real estate taxes, mortgage interest, home insurance, repairs, food eaten in the home. These are certainly costs to include. But What not to include in the costs are clothing, education, medical treatments, vacations, life insurance, or transportation. Do not include the rental value of the home owned or the value of services provided by a member of the household. And finally, I'm going to turn to the education credits. Often when a taxpayer is audited for several of these items, then also the education credit gets audited as well because the 1098-T Often showed the amount billed, so the, ex- the IRS wants to see proof of what the taxpayer paid with regard to the education expenses. So, certainly start out with the 1098 T that shows proof of what is going on, but also find other proof of enrollment, such as transcripts. But then the next step would be copies of proof of payment for tuition and fees. These could be canceled checks, bank statements, credit card statements, and so on. But certainly, what you're trying to show is not only did the taxpayer, were they enrolled in the school, but they also made the payments for the classes and so should qualify for the education credit that they received. So overall, it is linked what the taxpayer is claiming what tax year they are claiming it for, whether a person is a qualifying child or relative that they claim them for, were they the custodial or non-custodial parent, and then looking at what the IRS is auditing them for to help them to gather proof regarding the person that they claimed. Hopefully this is helpful to you. I believe I talked about this on another episode so I will make note of that in the episode notes. Thank you for tuning in to Tax Justice Warriors. Thank you for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. We have a Patreon page if you'd like to support this podcast. Providing monetary support for this podcast helps with expenses like equipment or travel to tax conferences. Supporting this podcast through Patreon comes with rewards so check out our Patreon page. Please rate or review this podcast because positive reviews help get more people to know this podcast exists. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers of the people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as tax or legal advice. Consult with your own tax professional to provide you with specific advice on your situation. Tune in next time on Tax Justice Warriors, for another interesting tax discussion.